For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast. Brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. And today, I'll be joined by Jesse Driftwood, and we're going to talk about how to create Instagram stories that people love to watch. This guy's a filmmaker, but he's going to talk about how to make everyday things into amazing stories so you can finally embrace this cool platform. By the way, if you want to email me, simply email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. And now for this week's brand new discovery. Helping you stay alive in the social jungle. Here is this week's survival tip. This week, I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What did you find, Eric? I found a really cool tool to help all of you marketers out there make great uh, reports and displays and, you know, report, you know, basically infographics, all of that. It's called infogram and it has nothing to do with Instagram. (laughs) You would think with gram on it, it would have to, but this thing is insanely cool. You can find it at infogram.com. And the best way I can really cut to the chase and say that it is, uh, the thing that it's similar to is Canva, but for reporting. So you can drag and drop different infographics, uh, you know, all the different kinds of uh, reporting tools like bar graphs, columns, uh, pie graphs. So what does it do? I mean, how do you get the data into it? Well, so you can you you actually plug it in. You basically you uh, you can connect different sources and it, it will pull it in, and then you can start to say, well, this is the the visual style that I would like, and you can start to swap them around, and you can even check different ones, like you know, like. Uh, all the different different design templates that they do got like for tables and bar charts and pie charts yeah. and all that kind of stuff and not just those different kinds of charts but different dis- different types of display um, templates so you know you can have one that's uh, gonna fit you can find one that is the closest to your uh, your business's branding already color scheme etc interesting so um, if what's the application here for somebody who's giving a presentation or a report or something like that Yeah, all of the above. Like, I mean, this is one of those ways where, I mean, and and heck, even for stories, like Instagram stories, I said it wasn't related to Instagram, but I guess maybe it is. To be able to plug in data and then create different info graphics out of this and then export that out and chop it up and then throw it in an Instagram story or throw it in a report or throw it in uh, a Google Doc or into a slide deck for a talk or for a report you need to turn in. We all know data and analyzing that and and then showing it in an easy to digest fashion is important with marketing. This tool is going to help you do that. For those that heard the little boing, I went to their website. It kind of looks like some of the Apple native apps that are on yes. Apple. 
Um, it almost looks like Microsoft Word meets Excel. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair assessment. I mean, and it's definitely got a clean look to it. So I'm, I'm. Is this a browser-based app or what is this exactly? Yeah, it's it's browser-based. Yeah, you go in there to your browser and you log in and then you start playing. <laughs> so, so okay, so let's talk about the price. Yes. So as usual, and, and for most good things, uh, there is a paid tier, so they'll be around. But there's also the free basic so that you can get in and you can start working with uh, the different – uh, charts, t- chart, chart types, and the different types of content that you can create, and you can import your data and all that kind of stuff, uh, and that's free. And then the next level up is a pro level that's 19 a month and starts to add on more features. And then there's like three more tiers above that, so <laughs> you've got room to grow. If it you need looks to. like it does support dashboards as well, so it looks like you mm-hmm. could use this to pull your data together, much like Google um, uh, Data Studio. Um, yes. And it looks like you can do all sorts of cool stuff with this. So um, awesome. So it's infogram.com. Thank you so much, Eric, for that find. You're welcome. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. And now for my interview with Jesse Driftwood. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Jesse Driftwood. If you don't know who he is, he is a filmmaker, photographer, and video influencer. He's known as the king of transitions for his creative cuts between scenes. He's also making a huge splash over on Instagram. Jesse, welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. So today, Jesse and I are going to explore how he creates short-form stories using Instagram stories that people absolutely love to watch. And while I know that this is an audio podcast, you guys have to trust me, he is really, really, really good. So <laughs> Jesse, um, before we go down that path, I'd love to back up yeah. and tell me, like, how in the world did you get into video? Start wherever you want to start. Well, I mean, I'm going to say real quick, I honestly thought you were about to say he is really, really good looking, which threw me off guard. But uh, I'm not going to make a judgment call on that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You're not ugly. Okay, let's put it there. (laughs) From now on, I'm going to make every podcast interview. (laughs) Now everyone's going to want to look. You know, we have an overwhelmingly female audience, so now they're all going to be like searching. (laughs) I am happily married. Um, Yeah. So how did I get into video? Yeah. Um, it's kind of a long story. My mom was an avid photographer, um, and I couldn't even count the amount of home video VHS tapes that she has stored at her place. She was always filming, always documenting our life. So while she didn't necessarily push me in that direction subconsciously, uh, it's something I grew up with. So it's something that always interested me. And, you know, through high school, I had little bits of interest here and there with photography. I took a photography class. I took a digital communications class. And that allowed me to dabble with cameras, but it never really stuck. And it wasn't until I was probably about 19 or 20, I had just dropped out of college. I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I bought a camper van. And me and my friends set out on the road. And we actually brought just a little video camera with me that I had bought used online uh, to kind of make these little, what I thought were going to be home videos, mostly to send back to mom and dad and be like, look, we're alive. And look, there's four hitchhikers in our van. And you know, it was uh, there was no professional aspiration for it at this point. But at the end of this, you know, several month road trip creating these videos, we both got home and kind of felt like 
I, I want to keep doing this. And we started brainstorming colleges and we started trying to film things just for fun. But what we found very quickly, just kind of examining our own skill sets is we really weren't good at writing scripts. So, you know, we tried to make these short films and they were bad and they didn't give us that same joy that we felt on the road. So what we actually discovered about ourselves was that we liked documentary filmmaking, I would say. And so we kind of quickly stumbled into weddings. We had very soon, we had three friends whose sisters were getting married and they all asked us, you know, we know you have these cameras and you want to pursue this. Would you film my sister's wedding? Cool. And we said, sure, why not? It's, it's something to do with our cameras. It's not completely off base from where we want to be pursuing right now. And after doing those three weddings, we decided this is kind of great. We really enjoyed it. And believe it or not, it was the same sort of thing we were doing on the road, which is that there's something unfolding in front of us. And it's beautiful, though, you know, at this point, it's love and romance rather than mountains and hitchhikers. But essentially, the story was there for us. And it was our job to capture it and try and retell that story in an engaging way, an emotional way, just make something that people wanted to watch. And we stumbled into that and basically did primarily weddings for about eight years. Awesome. And then like, how did you get on Instagram bandwagon and, and online video frontier? Tell us that part. Yeah. So through those eight years, I don't want to say I burned out, but I have this sort of perfectionism about me, which is that every video I want to, every video that I make, I want it to be the best video I've ever made. And I would never say this to a couple but not every wedding is the best wedding you've ever filmed. You know, some of them were flying out to tropical countries and other of them are in these really small, dingy banquet halls. And there's just no way to make everyone your best wedding video ever. So I was getting really creatively burnt out, feeling like I had these restrictions. And also what we learned is that for the most part, wedding couples value efficiency over final quality. Now that's not to say they want bad videos, but they would be happy with an 80% of the way their video sooner than 100% of the way their video later. But I like to pour my all into videos. So I was just so tired of making videos because I had to and making them quickly and I didn't feel creatively inspired. I just wasn't enjoying video the way that I was when I got into it, you know, the way that I was when we were driving around in the van just doing whatever, no pressure, no client telling us what to do or when to have it done by. So around the time Instagram launched stories, I day one, actually, I, I saw a friend, he had uploaded a story that had a Snapchat filter on it. And I remember asking him, oh, I didn't know you could do that on here. And he said, no, I uploaded it from my Snapchat. He, you know, he downloaded it from his Snapchat, uploaded right. it to his Instagram stories. And once he told me that you could upload to Instagram stories, it's like a little light bulb went off in my head. Because for years, I had kicked myself. I, I watched other social media platforms from their inceptions and growing into something really big, and I never jumped on. So Vine is a great example. I was a big consumer of Vine. I thought it was such an interesting platform, largely for humor, but short-form storytelling in general. Yeah, yeah Zach King and was I, on the show, and I, yeah. he, he blew up on that platform. I, yeah, absolutely. And I saw. I remember the earliest days of Vine thinking, this is so cool, this is so interesting, watching these creators just explore the platform and see what they could do with it. But I never did it myself. The same thing happened with Snapchat. I saw it come out and I remember thinking, photos that disappear, this is weird. I don't 
know what this is for, but I still consumed it and paid attention. And, you know, DJ Khaled had his moment in the sun on Snapchat. And that's where I got wind of guys like Sean Duras. But again, I never jumped on it. So when Instagram stories first launched, I was like, this is it for me. I'm not going to have another platform come to light and miss my potential with it. So I decided to start shooting and editing Instagram stories. Now, this is fascinating because you as a filmmaker making a movie mm -hmm. that only is going to last for 24 hours, you know, I mean, like, and the perfectionist side of you that you've already confessed. So how has this going all in on Instagram thing, what kind of impact has it had on you? It was actually so freeing because of that perfectionism that I felt with the videos I created. I even felt that with photos I would post to Instagram. So I almost never posted because it was like, is this good enough? Can I share it? This is going to live on beyond me, especially with wedding videos. So that 24-hour disappearing window for me was actually incredibly freeing because if it wasn't perfect, this time tomorrow it wouldn't matter. Mm, So I could use it as a tool to be creative but also let that perfectionism go and just be like, it's done. It's only going to live till tomorrow. So once I upload it, I can start working on a new one and tomorrow it'll be, you know, a little bit better. And I kind of use that day in day out process of just get something out there, enjoy yourself. You know, you can slowly learn and move on how to do these like short form vertical videos. Cause I'd never worked in vertical and so, it really changed everything for me. I built an entire career because of that decision to go on Instagram. Tell us a little bit about what happened. Like, did you have people reaching out to you and wanting to hire you to do special projects or what exactly happened? Yeah. From the beginning, very early on, I had a friend of mine who's not an influencer or anything like that, but he's very um, entrepreneurially minded. And he came to me and he said, so, you know, what's the end goal here? What are you, what are you pushing for with these? Is it, uh, are you trying to grow your Instagram? And I remember thinking about that and I was of two minds. I told him on one hand, I, I am just having fun. You know, I told him this is the first time I've had fun making videos really since those early days with the van and in living in that apartment, trying to figure out what I wanted to film. So I was like, you know what, I'm just trying to keep a low pressure on it. But at the same time, I know that there is potential here. I know that as vertical video grows in popularity, there will be more and more of a market for someone who knows how to tell stories in this format. So I told him that I was going to try and make these stories daily or as close to daily for the year. And then at the end of the year, I would reevaluate, was it worth it? Is this something I want to keep doing? But I didn't want to make a decision too early. Now, somebody that I don't know how many in the audience will know, probably a good percentage, Peter McKinnon. Yeah, everybody probably knows him. Yeah, we, we actually grew up a little bit together. So a decade ago, he sold me my first camera when I got home from that road trip. Wow. He worked at my local camera store. And so I was going in constantly because I was like, I need a better camera. Which one should I use? And we kind of built a relationship there. And then we ended up shooting some weddings together or working in on case a bunch Peter, of projects In case together. people don't know who Peter is, just give him like the quick 20 second on who he is. Yeah, I Peter that- McKinnon, he is a photographer, filmmaker, absolutely exploded over these past two years on Instagram and YouTube. You know, in two years, he's about to hit any day now, he's going to hit 3 million subscribers. So. And he's like Casey Neistat, right? Very similar, right? Very much so. Yeah. Like he's like a vlogger with a big attention on high quality filmmaking, a lot of B-roll. And his photography is just truly stunning. His landscape photography. So his Instagram and his YouTube are fantastic. He's a bit of a YouTube sensation, really. It's not often you see 
you know, creators grow into the several millions in their first couple of years. So yeah, we had this long history. And while I started making these stories as well, he had just started out on YouTube. Now for him just started out is that he was quickly growing 100,000, 200,000 subscribers. And at that point he was like, I think this is a career for me. You know, I've got to really focus on my videos. I got to be getting stuff out frequently. And he said, I'd love to have you on the channel. I've been watching your Instagram stories. I think it's a really cool idea. Would you come onto my channel and tell people about what you're doing and why you're doing it? So for me, that video I did with him, which was, you know, coming on two years ago now was a big stepping stone into this whole world I'm in now, which is a lot more social media influencing, but also vertical filmmaking, short form storytelling. Awesome. And I saw that video. Um, and just so you guys know how I found Jesse is one of um, one of my fans reached out to me and said, you got to check out this guy, Jesse. And he sent me over to that video. So I had a chance to watch that video and see the stuff that you were doing. So awesome story. Now what I want to ask you is for those people that are listening right now who don't have the film background that you do, but they but they're but they're thinking maybe there's something here with this Instagram story thing. Why should they consider doing short stories on Instagram with, you know, Instagram stories, if you will? Well, I think one of the most interesting things about stories in general, regardless of whether you're posting super high, you know, highly produced and edited videos like I am or not, is that it's an opportunity to really showcase your personality. It's not, you know, maybe you make uh, paintings or something like that and your Instagram feed is just photos of your paintings on your stories, you're able to showcase a totally different side of it. You're able to showcase who the painter is, the the face behind the brand, so to speak. But you could also create small videos of you creating the painting because I know personally, I'm so fascinated by the how of almost everything. So when I see a great painting, I want to know how did they do that? And so I'm so interested in seeing, is this something you do quickly? Is this something you do you know, over weeks, months, is this one layer of paint, a hundred layers of paint? What does that look like? And it doesn't have to be super highly produced. I would be interested to just see that behind the scenes of a, you know, using that painter as an example, even if they just set up their phone to film a time-lapse of them doing it, I just find that so fascinating. So step one is utilize stories as a way to showcase something different than you're already showcasing. So it sounds like if I can take your example and kind of tell you what I'm hearing you say is this is a way, no matter what you do to kind of become more close, if you will, to your fans and followers, right? Absolutely. There's a certain intimacy there, especially when you're talking to your phone or a camera right in your face. It's so close to you. It feels intimate. It feels very real and honest in a way that a lot of other video doesn't because usually when you see video on your phone it's maybe you're just facetiming someone or you're skype calling someone it's that vertical maybe even a little bit low-fi video that makes us feel connected in some way and what i think i mean i'll be honest like i'm my primary platforms have been for years facebook and twitter and i'm recently you Mm -hmm. know getting into the stories thing what i like about it is the the private messages that I get because there really isn't a public Mm. chat, you know? Yep. And I'm sure that you have built some mega fans out of this just by interacting with them privately. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. That was one of the things that I remembered liking most about it actually in the early days before I had even built an audience of, you know, a hundred and some odd 20 something thousand people, even when it was just 1000 people, 800 people, whatever, starting to DM with these 
people that I, I didn't know who those 800 people were often, you know, maybe a hundred of it was friends and family and the others were just who knows and getting to start those conversations and hold them throughout years now. I, I've always tried to respond to as many of those DMs as possible because I know how much it means to someone, but it also does strengthen the brand. It's able to build a deep connection. And so those followers, for example, are much more likely to follow me over to YouTube when I go there. Or It was only a little over a year ago that I even started using my Twitter. And so it's those people that I've built a much more intimate, personal connection with that are going to be the first ones to follow me to another platform. They're going to be the first ones, you know, if I were to start selling a digital product or merchandise or something like that. It turns them into evangelists for you because, yeah, because people that seem to be untouchable, when you get private messages from them because they choose to actually go out on a limb and comment, mm-hmm. that's, that's a really big deal. And then all of a sudden they begin telling other people about you, which is exactly yep. how I got connected with mm-hmm. you because the guy that connected me to you, probably you have commented with him in the past. And, yeah, that's right. And now you're on my podcast, you know, and it's like, <laughs> and here we are. that's how that stuff works. So it's a total like reframing of how, um, traditional social media works, which is a very public discourse, you know? Um, yes. And that's kind of exciting about it. I want to transition Jesse into your story making process because yeah. what I think is fascinating about you is how you take kind of a everyday kind of thing and you make it into a story. And, and what mm-hmm. I think is so cool about that is, you know, a lot of people might say, I don't have any story worth telling. So talk yeah. to us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think the culture of social media influencers that we've been used to for a lot of years now is maybe it's glamorous people on yachts or jumping off of airplanes, whatever. It's this kind of unattainable lifestyle. What I started doing on a Instagram stories was uh, taking my everyday, the very mundane, relatable things, whether that's commuting to my office or whether that's just cooking with my family, that the, the stuff we all do. And I tried to make interesting video about that. So one of the things that I really try and do because it is so short form, that attention span, especially on Instagram, which is a platform people open somewhat mindlessly, I'll say. If you think of Netflix as a platform that you sit down to, you plan on spending an hour and a half with to binge something, uh, or Instagram is the far opposite. So I know that people, when they're on Instagram, they're there for a short time. So when I'm making videos there, I try and keep them as short as possible. And the technique for that really is choose just one thing. Just one thing to make the story about. I don't wake up, you know, film myself. Good morning, world. Good morning, wife. You know, get my kids, make <laughs> breakfast, put my shoes on. That's kind of boring, right? I mean, that's just too yeah, much almost, right? Absolutely. It, it, there's no clear goal there. And so I pick one thing for the most part uh, from the day. And then I try and show that one thing in a way that people maybe aren't used to seeing. And so often, especially in the beginning days, that was just cooking eggs because every morning, you know, between 6, 7 a.m., my daughter at that point, she was, you know, about a year old. She was just kind of barely walking. And I would just try and film myself just with my phone, you know, balance it on a shelf to get an overhead shot, just film a quick video of just me cracking eggs, throwing them in the pan, scrambling them up, and then giving them to my daughter. And I see that as the whole story. So there's a beginning, there's a middle. Yeah, the beginning is maybe me getting something from the fridge, the middle is the actual cook. And then the end, which is the reward, it's the payoff, it's the punchline is actually handing the eggs to my daughter. And sometimes the reason I say punchline is sometimes she'd be like, Oh, I don't want that gross. Or sometimes she'd be excited. You know, who knew what, 
what the ending there would be. But I was doing it so often that it just excited me to kind of see, okay, what else of this regular mundane life could I turn into a three-act beginning, middle, end video structure? Why do you think people enjoyed watching that? I think one of the things in particular is that it was such relatable content. It was there you didn't get to have that excuse of, you know, if only I was in the Bahamas scuba diving, then I would make an interesting video. If only I had fancy cars, fancy, whatever, you know, my kitchen has a massive hole in the ceiling. It's not a nice kitchen. It felt so real and relatable. I think for a lot of people, it inspired them to start doing something similar and kind of get rid of those excuses of the, you know, I'll do it when I have a better camera. I'll do it when I have a more interesting thing. So in the early days, it sounds like you were just taking your iPhone or whatever and propping it up yep. and filming it. And then, cause a lot of people in these stories, you know, they're actually doing it inside of Instagram. So tell us a little yep. bit about, about like, like what you did after you had that recording, because obviously there's a little bit of editing going on here, right? Yeah. So from the beginning, I was just filming on my phone, not right into Instagram, just into the camera app. And then I would edit it in iMovie. Now this is annoying because iMovie does not edit vertical video, or at least at the time it didn't. I'm mostly sure it still doesn't. So I had to download some other app that would rotate the video sideways and have to edit it with my head turned 90 degrees and then finish the video and send it back to that app to rotate it back upright. It was a terrible process. The good news is now there are all sorts of fantastic mobile editing tools. You know, There's an app called Splice, which is by GoPro, which is a really great and powerful but simple video editing app that'll let you edit the videos on your phone vertically. It even has some functions that kind of automate the edit. There's apps like LumaFusion and I don't know, all sorts of just great free or cheap video editing software. So that was me. That's just my phone front to back, film it, edit it, upload it to Instagram stories. I, I, I know a lot of people listening right now didn't even think that you could do something like that. So here's the question. When you upload it, do you have to like, chop it up in 15 seconds or how does that work if it's longer than that? Luckily, Instagram has now updated so that it will allow you to upload a longer video. At the very least, this is available on most people's accounts. For whatever reason, uh, it hasn't rolled over to my account yet. Oh, really? Uh, Wow. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I was comparing with some people when I was in New York just the other day because all of their phones could do it and they showed me and we tried online. It just wouldn't work. So it just slices it up automatically, assuming that you got the latest or whatever. Exactly. So it is a, it is a very new update from Instagram. The same way that if you film yourself talking in Instagram, it'll start creating clips that'll just play seamlessly. Same idea with an uploaded video. I used to have to either, I would have to just edit lots of little 15 second videos, or there is an app called like cut story or limitless stories was another one where you told the app how long you wanted each segment to be and it would break it apart for you. Tell me about the kind of stories you're doing today. Obviously you started with just the egg, but you know, now what are you, what are you focused on with the kind of stories you're making? Well, what's funny is that, uh, even though it started as a sort of cure for my perfectionism, I certainly did not uh, keep that at bay. And so I found myself constantly always wanting to up my own game, to, to try and beat my best, so to speak. And I'm still doing that. Uh, and, and I have that very personality trait to thank for you know where I am today because it was that constant trying to push the envelope that had me just always trying to make my stories more interesting or more exciting or more beautiful, aesthetically pleasing. You know, it had me buying a new camera 
just for Instagram stories because I had these big cinema cameras for my professional work, but I wasn't going to take that out on my skateboard. I wasn't going to put that in my kitchen while I was filming eggs. So, you know, I bought a small little mirrorless camera to make these stories on. And that progression is very much followed me all the way to today. So I'm using proper full frame mirrorless cameras. If you know much about that, I'm often filming with multiple cameras. I don't really go anywhere anymore without my backpack holding a camera, a few lenses, my laptop, you know, a whole little setup just so that at any moment, if I see that one thing I want to make my story about, I can whip out the camera, I can start shooting something, and then later in the day I can pull out the laptop and start editing. So I want to ask you about all the equipment in a minute, but I want to go to the like, like the kinds of stories you're talking about these days. Like, Give us an example of one that you recently filmed that's kind of your everyday kind of story, if you will. Yeah. I mean, an interesting one is just the other day I was in New York at this micro conference at 368, which is Casey Neistat's kind of creator hub incubator space. And uh, I got an impulse tattoo from this tattoo artist who... Uh, had set up as this it was called like the 368 tattoo project and so I knew you know it's my first tattoo and I I figured that's the thing today that's most special thing I'm just gonna do all day but it's also rather simple a lot of people are out getting tattoos it's not a it's not unattainable it's not something that you know whatever it's not yeah unattainable normal so I, I passed my camera to a friend. I said, listen, you know, you understand video a little bit. Could you film this for me? I'd love to be able to create an Instagram story from this tattoo. And that same beginning, middle, end structure applied. So I knew the end of this story was going to be the tattoo itself. I knew that was the big reveal. That's the, it's not a punchline, but you know, that is the payoff. The emotional payoff is me showing the tattoo and then a big smile on my face because I'm excited about it. And I know the middle of that story needs to be, well, the tattoo actually getting done. Right. And the beginning is just me basically walking across 368, which is for people in my world, this kind of social media influency world, 368 is quite an iconic space. It's very much very recognizable. So you see me walking through the space to the front uh, and then I start getting the the tattoo and I'm I'm careful that throughout the edit, I don't show the actual tattoo. So you might see a close-up of the the needle going up and down or the machine moving. You might see a close-up of my face, the tattoo artist's face. You might see a wide shot that you don't really see the art so that when I get to the end of this very simple story, the the payoff of seeing the tattoo and my smile, there Love actually it. is a payoff. How long, when you edit all this together, what are we talking, like 60 seconds or 45 seconds or how long for the whole? I, I, tr- I try and keep my finished videos between one and two minutes. Got it. You know, I'll make all sorts that are 15 seconds total. It really is dependent for me on how much time, not even how much time do I need to tell the story, but how efficiently can I tell the story? How short can I tell this story? Because as we mentioned before, Instagram is a, it's very much a passive app that we open quickly. And if someone loads your stories and they see it's got a, a hundred of those little dashes across the top, you know, saying this is 10 minutes of video, they are not going to stick around. I, I can quantifiably see, and you know, and I have the number. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Do people stick around when you follow this model pretty much to the end? Um, yeah, it's it's probably about like 75, 80% of people will watch. That's better than YouTube, it. man. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. It's better than my YouTube. <laughs> um, yeah, that's awesome. 
part of it is they're not getting into something big. But I do know if I post a story that's three minutes, four minutes long, I can see a bigger drop off from that first 15 second clip to the second 50 sec- 15 second clip than I would if it's just four clips. People are they're okay with you taking a minute of their time uh, when they when you know when they haven't asked for it. But if you're trying to ask for four or five minutes and they just happen upon your stories, it's not going to happen. So we've talked about two ends. We've talked about the egg and then we've talked about the mystique experience at this cool, iconic place. Talk about like just the trip to work because like you do that too. And I think that might be a middle ground that a lot of people are like, okay, on my way to work, there could be a little story that develops, right? Talk about how, yeah. how you're capturing that. So that's the thing that really hasn't changed for me. I still do this very thing. Um, I was filming myself just get to work. And so some days it was raining. Some days it was snowing. Some days I was on a skateboard. Some days I, you know, I was on a longboard. I didn't really bike all that often, but what I liked using with this was this walk to work, which is essentially the same thing every day or this commute to work. But I wanted to try and show that process different, um, as many times as possible in as many ways as possible. So I've done that. I can't even tell you how many ways I've done that. That's been uh, time lapses of my feet. That's been dancing in the rain. That's been skateboarding up and downstairs. That's been me adventuring, trying to find new ways to the office. And, aren't, aren't there, re- day, there there's recurring like, like elements in some of these stories, like some sort of rope you go under or something like that, right? Or yeah, chain? absolutely. So I, I basically, one of the things I'm conscious of is that I try and create characters uh, in my life that aren't, you know, that aren't people. So as my, uh, journey progressed, you know, I went from this tiny shared studio space, just like a, basically just a desk in a room that five of us would sit at. Um, I got my own studio. And so when I first got that studio, that studio itself became a character that you would see frequently. I, in fact, I had these five windows, four windows, five windows in that space with blinds. And I even, I would try and find a different way to show myself opening those blinds. Sometimes I, you know, did a bit of editing magic to have myself in the same shot five times, opening every window all at once, or opening it to music, opening it slowly, opening it and being upset because it's raining, or open it and being excited because the sun's finally out. But that's the idea: is because I'm taking these regular things from my life. Um, how do you get people involved? How do you get people interested? So now when people see those blinds or when people see that rope that I used to duck under, the more they see it, the more they go, oh, I wonder what this is going to be today. I wonder how he's going to do it. Do they influence your story? Do they ever ask you to do a story about something in particular they've seen recurring inside your videos? Yeah, actually. Um, I remember one time someone saying, they, they even gave me a great idea. It was like, you should do it in reverse. And I was like, that's such an awesome idea. I should film one where I essentially- (laughs) Like Memento, the movie. Did you see that? Yeah, movie? like I'll, I'll, yeah, exactly. I'll walk home completely while walking backwards. You know, I'll set up the camera or your phone, whatever, outside on the stairs, and you'll see me walk down the stairs backwards. But when I edit the video together, I play it all forward. So it's me walking to the work the way I normally do, but all of the world around me is going in reverse. Now, so I just you, thought that's cool. It was really cool having that interaction of people saying like, "Oh, like, I, have you ever thought about doing this?" or "That was a cool idea." Kind of a two-way street there. Do you ever talk? Yeah, or is it just mostly capturing the things that you do? Uh, yeah, I absolutely, I do like talking. And one of the things that has been uh, most beneficial to my professional career, actually, 
has been becoming more comfortable speaking on camera, becoming more comfortable speaking in general, because from the very beginning, I felt the way basically everyone feels the first time you stick a camera in your face, the first time you stick your phone in your face and try and talk to it. It's very uncomfortable. You get very shy. But Instagram stories was so short. I was like, you know what? I can get a sentence out. You know, I can get two sentences out where I don't look completely uncomfortable. And the other thing is on Instagram stories, it's so short form, you know, literally 15 second clips. If you try and talk too much, 15 seconds is over. You're done. You're cut off. And I don't like the way that the there's like a small delay between clips on Instagram stories. So I try not to have talking cross those lines. But I knew that I wanted this to be short form storytelling in a visual way, because that's how I see the world. I'm a very visual filmmakery person, more so than I am necessarily just a public speaker. So I thought I'd play to my strengths, but also use as an opportunity to work on my weaknesses, which at the time was public speaking, speaking to a camera. I'm sure you've done this, but have you ever recorded audio and then, you know, put B-roll over the top of it so they're watching the story, but they're listening to you talk while they're watching the story? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. That's That's just, you know, because of my background in, you know, wedding filmmaking, corporate, commercial filmmaking, there's all these different ways of telling a story that I've developed. So I've always loved trying to incorporate that into my Instagram stories, that is. So yeah, sometimes that is, the video might start with my face at the studio, just like, let me tell you about the walk I had today. And then I can tell you about it, but what you'll actually see is the walk. And maybe it's because a car drives by and splashes a huge puddle on me, which happened many times. Um, <laughs> I can already visualize you like throwing your hands up in, in, in the air yeah. and saying, what? <laughs> I remember it, it would just make me laugh because often I, you know, I was, don't have a car. So I, I had to get to work and if it's raining, it's raining and I'm walking. Um, so I'm already wet and then you get a huge puddle and it's because I'm such a, I'm so obsessed with stories. It's almost like sociopathic in a way where I, I, I have a bad thing happen. I'm like, oh, this is going to make a great story. You know, so I get splashed with a puddle and my first thought is like, I hope I got it on video because that was awesome. How long does it take you to edit these things? Be honest. Yeah, no, no, I, anywhere between 30 minutes and six hours. How long, now, how long did it take in the beginning when you were just doing the eggs though? Were you spending that kind of time? It, honestly, no, that those videos were five minutes, 10 minutes I would spend on it because I wasn't trying to make them as heavily produced as aesthetically pleasing. That's encouraging to to people listening, right? Because they're going to say, I don't don't have six hours is what they're going to say, but they don't have to spend six hours, right? No, definitely not. I think also I should clarify when I say six hours, one of the things I've been very conscientious is about conscientious. Wow. Yeah, you got it's close enough. (laughs) (laughs) Aware of, how's that sound? (laughs) Yeah, aware of is that I like trying to learn something new with each of these stories. So a lot of the time, I'm using this story to learn a new technique. Maybe that's a new storytelling technique, like you know, speaking under the video, or maybe that's a new filmmaking technique. Maybe that's a new way to color my videos or to make them black and white, whatever. So I very often am spending more time because I want it to be a learning process. I want to try and do something I've never done. If I was always doing something I was comfortable with, the edits would take a lot less time. But you know, I've had stories where I, I actually masked out my daughter's eyes and I turned them red for a Halloween story. And I can't even tell you how long that took me. I kept doing <laughs> it and failing. But I was like, this is the thing I want to learn today. I want to learn That's cool. how other filmmakers do this. 
All right. I want to talk about like equipment and stuff. So mm-hmm. first of all, you do a lot of on the move stuff. So I would love you to talk about like how in the world you're like holding these cameras and whatever. If somebody wants to do some of the stuff you're doing, but they don't necessarily have the budget to go for the really expensive camera, like what's the basics that they need? Um, yeah. m- maybe just be on their hand in an iPhone. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so the beginning is without a doubt, it's your phone in your hand, you know, that like, if, if you're not starting there, make sure you're not making the excuse, you know, if only I had a camera then right. I would make a video because right. probably that's not true. And, and the reason I can say that is because I've been the person to do that. I, I've said to myself, I'll shoot more if I have a new lens, if I have a new yada, yada. And it's almost never true. The next thing that to make videos interesting is to get new angles. So this isn't even necessarily gear. This could just be propping your phone up on a shelf. This could be, you know, whatever, putting your phone on the ground, leaning it on a couch, just trying to get new angles of the same thing to tell that story. So rather than just filming your face as you walk through a room, maybe there's a, maybe the camera's in the next room and it sees you coming from afar, that sort of thing. Real quick. um, If you had a phone and a camera, I would imagine you could put both of them at different angles and walk through and then you'd have the ability to cut between those, right? Yeah, and you don't have to keep making yourself do the same thing over and over. <laughs> right. Um, but for me, one of the first, I'll say, investments into Instagram story that I made was something called a friction arm and a phone clamp. Now, a friction arm is essentially this like bendy kind of bit of metal. There's three joints on it that can move in any direction. And then when you tighten down one knob in the middle, it becomes rock solid. And then there's a clamp on one side and a phone holder on the other. And basically the reason for this is now, it's just easier to get your phone into places. You can clamp it onto the leg of a chair. You can clamp it onto a shelf. You can basically put the thing as many places as your creativity will let you. Is there a certain brand you recommend? So there's this company called Neewer, like N-E-E-W-E-R. And they're one of these, they're a knockoff company. You know, they probably make every product under the sun. But I use their friction arms because I was getting them on Amazon for about $20. I say them because I bought a lot of them for various filmmaking purposes. They're not really primarily meant for, you know, holding your phone places. They're kind of made for attaching monitors and lights and various knickknacks onto big camera rigs, but they work wonderful. So do you hold it in your hand then? And it's not super heavy. Is that the idea? And then somehow your phone or camera attaches to it? Okay. Sometimes I do. But honestly, I would say 90% of the time, 90 plus percent of the time, I'm just holding it with my hand when I'm hand holding it. The friction you arm, know, the friction arm you're talking about, right? The camera itself, the camera, the phone. Oh, but okay. Um, so I'm trying to figure out what the friction arm does though. I guess that's the part I'm trying for, to. For me, that's for setting up just other angles to film myself. Ah, so okay. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll clamp the phone, I'll clamp the camera onto a, a stop sign so I can get a shot of me coming up the street. I'll ah, clamp okay. I'm using it like a tripod, but the thing is it folds up so small you can have it with you anywhere. You can put it in your pocket for goodness sake. So it allows you to get really cool kind of angles by clamping it to stuff that's around you basically. Yeah, absolutely. It's the way you see a lot of vloggers using gorilla pods, which is that like three leg bendy tripod, right. you know, hanging it from trees and whatnot. That's mostly how I use the friction arm. Uh, if you wanted to up your game a little bit, um, yep. what other tips or suggestions do you have for people that want to get either creative yeah, or up their equipment? So if, if budget will allow it, um, upgrading into a proper camera will absolutely make a difference. So I started with this camera called the EOS M5. Now that's a Canon mirrorless camera. 
Uh, now I would recommend the EOS M50. And what's great about it is it has a flippy screen so you can see yourself and you know what you're filming. But it is really small and lightweight. You can put a really small microphone on it, which I which I also suggest. Yeah, by the way, what kind of, what kind of microphone do you recommend for that? Yeah, without a doubt, I still use it to this day, the Rode Video Micro. Uh, it's about 60 or $70, something like that. And the real benefit is twofold. It's that you don't need a battery, so you're not having to worry about your batteries dying, and then you turn it on, and you don't even realize you haven't filmed any audio. But the other thing is that it comes with what's called a dead cat. It's basically a windscreen. Right. So big fuzzy hairball on the end of the microphone, which just makes sure when you're outside, you can still hear yourself. You know, gone are the days of, yeah. <laughs> of yeah. the wind right. going by your now. Um, I think the USM 50 yep. and the Rode Video Micro is such a great place to start. Now, are you putting it on the end of some sort of stick that you're holding to kind of get those angles while you're walking? Or um, are you just putting your hand up? No, I, I do love using wide angle lenses, but I basically just try and hold it as far away from me as I can without having my arm too much in the shot. I'll hold the camera by the lens itself if I have to. Okay. Got but, it. So you're holding on to the camera basically for the most part. Yeah. For folks yeah. that are a lot, maybe um, not as agile, or is there any kind of selfie stick or whatever you call it that would allow them yeah, to, to things i mean you could use a, a selfie stick if if you're still on your phone you could use a, a gorilla pod if you're got it on your camera the other thing is a mistake a lot of people will make is they'll just they'll they'll want to talk maybe to the camera and they'll have something they want to say and because of those nerves they're moving around a lot they're turning in circles they're walking really fast they're shaking the camera and they don't even know they're doing it and so if that's you, if maybe you're not comfortable talking to a camera, if maybe you're not trusting that you can hold it at arm's length long enough, don't hold it. Put it on a shelf, you know, put it on a tripod, put it somewhere and let the camera be completely steady. The misconception, I think, with vlogs is that you got to be doing everything on the go. You're always on the go. Move, move, move. Always talking to the camera. But if you're not already comfortable talking to a camera and comfortable using a camera, uh, that's going to lead to some pretty shaky you know, poorly exposed, poorly composed images. I tend, I tend to grab my iPhone and when I'm leaving the office, I'm on the second story of a building. I, I am in motion down the stairs while I'm talking. Yeah. Um, I think there's something about being in motion. Talk to me about that. Yeah. I, that, that is the thing I do a lot of, uh, because I, I just, well, I mean, twofold, my brain is constantly just like, tick, 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 yeah. I feel like a little freight train sometimes. It's more real too, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And there, like I was mentioning about that intimacy, it feels like we are together doing a thing. We're on the stairs together and, you know, talking about such and such a thing or, right. or what have you. It gives just a sense of, obviously motion isn't the right word. It gives a sense of, um, like you're there with them almost like, like it's, it's, uh, it's kind of like you get, you're peeking into the life of somebody, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And when, you know, someone gets to your story, they don't know what the story is about. They didn't see a YouTube video that says this story is about my business meeting or this story is about such and such. They just start a story. Who knows what it is? A bit of motion really helps the video feel alive and like it's going somewhere. It's not static from a story perspective. It, it There is somewhere that this is going. And that might be physically to a place, but that also might be to a point you're trying to make. It might be to some advice you're trying to give. Yeah. One of the things that I did that some of the listeners who are regulars know is I did a, with a selfie stick, I did 30 days live 
on Facebook and uh, I went in these backcountry hikes, you know, and, oh, wow. and while I was live, I had bees fly at me, I had bugs, <laughs> in my, I had smacked in the face by branches, you know, yeah. just yeah. all these things. But people went nuts over because they were with me while I was live hiking in these mountains mm -hmm. and stuff. And I don't yep. know, there's some, it's, and I was, and I was just riffing, you know, um, now obviously yep. that's yep. a longer form platform, but I do think people love the kind of in motion kind of stuff. And yep. it's what I think a lot of is kind of the cutting edge with a lot of the stuff I'm seeing right now. Yeah, absolutely. Like you could have said everything you said on one of those lives from the car before, you know, your hike, but right. that would be so much less interesting. It also doesn't feel like you're heading somewhere subconsciously. I, you know, I'm watching that live video. I see you're on a hike. I'm not even thinking about it, but I want to know where you're hiking to. I want to know what this, what the heck are you walking for? You're surviving these bees and whatever flying around <laughs> your head. I want the payoff. I want to see the view just as much as you do at this point. So I'm going to stick around and yeah. we're going to find out where this is going. Jesse, um, tell everybody where they can discover, um, first of all, your stories on Instagram and also where yep. they can follow you anywhere else you want to have them follow you. Yeah. So Jesse Driftwood, there's no I in my name, J-E-S-S-E -S -S -E, Driftwood on Instagram. If I don't have any stories live on my page at that point, definitely check out my highlights. You'll see all sorts of some of my favorites that show a variety of the types of videos I like to make. Uh, YouTube as well, Jesse Driftwood. That's I'm making some tutorial videos, some short form, some very long form, walking you through how I do some of these things. Also, I do a lot more personal um, coaching as well as editing breakdowns on my Patreon page. That's Jesse Driftwood as well. And unfortunately, my favorite platform, Twitter, is Jesse Driftwood One, the number one at the end because the owner of Jesse Driftwood <laughs> will not let me have it. <laughs> That's all cool, man. You know, it doesn't matter because nobody, once they follow you, they never type it in anyway. So, well, yeah, Jesse Driftwood, sure. first of all, I really appreciate you sharing all of your insights and folks, I really do recommend you check out his stuff. Jesse, I, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, I appreciate you having me so much. This has been a great little chat. Well, I hope you find a lot of value in today's interview. By the way, there's a lot of cool gear and stuff that was mentioned in today's podcast episode. If you go to socialmediaexaminer.com, slash 343. You can get links to everything. We took all the notes for you. And with that, this brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be definitely back with you next week. I hope you make the best of your day and may social media continue to change your world. Catch you next week. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.